Hi, this is Frank Menzer. Whether you play Moldvay or My Edition or any other basic D&D, tune in next for Save or Die Basic D&D. You burst through the door. You find a small room filled with gold and jewels and a red dragon. He starts to breathe. Save or Die! Hello, hello to Save or Die number 115 as we travel through time and space to bring you Judges Guild goodness. As ever, DM Mike here, owner of the latest Rat on a Stick franchise, number 862. (laughs) And with me is the fellow voted best thief at Thieves of Fortress Badabascar three years in a row, DM Jim. Hey, can you guys leave me the keys to TARDIS so I can go back to last week and hit my deadline I missed with Joe Goodman? Sure. Yeah, why don't you just go through that door and find They're somewhere in the TARDIS. Go ahead and find them in there. I mean, I, I know it's a violation of the laws of time, but... But, hey, it's gaming. <laughs> it's for and, a good cause. Yeah. And with me is my very own shield maiden of Searune, DM Liz. Hello. <laughs> and we are going to be... Going into part two of our interview with Bob Bledsaw Jr. with the Judges Guild, both past, present, and future discussions. But first, yes. do we have any voicemails? Get down, get down, get down, get down. The Save or Die email hot tub time machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh man! We do have voicemails, oddly enough. (laughs) Emphasis on the oddly. (laughs) Here we go. Hey, ciao, Sadaitse. The image Seppi Dundeth here. Prima time caller. Long time listener. So, here is my question for you. Since class functionality is inherent to a certain aspect of the roleplay, do you take this into consideration when planning an adventure? For example, the thieves, they love to pick the locks, they love to move like the mice. So, do you make a conscious effort to allow for these actions? Or, say you are using a module, do you say, okay, the clerics, Here's where she can use the light spell. And if so, how do you reward with experience for these actions? I will take my answer off of the air. I say ciao e grazie. Eh, perdonami. This is DM Giuseppe once again with a follow-up question. I don't know why I didn't think of this first, right? Can 
Concerning the last question, if you do consider this aspect of DMing, can you give us some favorite examples, you know, for the thief, for the cleric, for like MU spells, you know, like this. Okay, this is it for me. Bye-bye. Thank you, DM Giuseppe. That is uh, interesting. Well, um, I guess I'll take it out the gate. Hmm. I've done it a time or two on individual adventures, but I've never sat there and intentionally, all right, who are the players? Who are their characters? What can I do to have make sure that each character has something particular to do with their class? Mostly because it's been my experience, no matter how much as a DM you plan to do something, the PCs go off and do something else. <clears throat> Tejel Manor. Hey, that's Tejel Manor. I'm oh, sorry, Tejel Manor. I, <laughs> there is that, though, you know. So if I were going to give XP for it, though, um, I'd probably just count it as roughly an equivalent monster and uh, just award XP as that. Anyone else want to take this? Well, like you said, um, it's running a game for a bunch of players is like herding cats. They're not going to go where you want them to go. Um, and that being said, I think you also need to be very careful about intentionally placing situations or puzzles for a specific character. Um, for one thing, say if you do have the trap for the thief, as in Giuseppe's example, what if the thief fails the role? And he's like, oh, well, that didn't work out too well. Or and You're dead. But you get 200 XP. <laughs> you, yay. Um, and also something else you need to watch out for, don't make your situation something that if the character in question doesn't succeed, the whole game grinds to a halt. <laughs> don't write yourself a bottleneck. Right. Like, um, say, a secret door in a tomb. Yes. <laughs> which, if you can't find that secret door, then you will never be able to finish the quest. And We've all done course, it. Yes, and you know every single member of the party failed their secret door check. Some of us more recently than others. Is it? <laughs> so... I, th I think it is a, a good idea. I think it can be done, but I think you need to be very careful and probably do it sparingly. Um, it has been my experience, though. Usually there is going to be something for everyone to do um, in the course of the game. Um, I would say probably the closest I have come has been to deliberately avoid picking a module that I knew would not have, you know, stuff for my group, you know, that wouldn't be a good fit. Um, for instance, if something was going to be very cleric-centric, and it's like, well, only the cleric is going to get to shine in this one, and everybody else is going to be just twiddling their thumbs going, okay, when's the next game session? Um so that's probably the closest I've ever come to doing that is, you know, going over adventures and saying, this one's not a good fit for this group right now. I'm going to set it aside and maybe come back to it later when it is a better, a better fit. So that's me. 
Yeah. What's interesting about this question as I think about it and mull it over is in the last couple of years of my campaign, I've written more of the adventures than I've used from off the shelf, although I do occasionally take a break and buy something. So, you know, when it's from a good author, usually this problem is solved by that author and you just have to run it. But the ones that I write, I do make some efforts because uh, I'm running a, a version of Dungeon Call Classics. The thing I'm, I'm writing right now, you know, I made sure to stick the opportunity for dwarves to smell gold. I mean, they're, they're little data orbs that plug into a machine on the purple planet, but they're constructed of gold, so the dwarf can smell them. So, stuff like that. And, you know, a, a locked door security system for the thief to play with. And, you know, you don't have to take care of magic users as long as there's stuff to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and minions to fight. That gets about everybody. It's hard to have an adventure with, that doesn't give a fighter type anything to do. Because... You know, there's always somebody to beat or kill and take their crap and check their spleen for emeralds. Right, and there's and there's always damage to heal for the cleric. All right, well, hopefully that answered your questions, DM Giuseppe. Uh, anyone else wants to write in? Where would they write to DM Liz? Save or die podcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. Or if you, too, want to leave a voicemail, call us at 940 940- Five three six thirty seven sixty three. All together now. Three sod. Three sod. Three sod. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't really all together, but okay. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> Time wise, it was all the same rap. See, I so. will do it as rap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we go into our incredibly important public service announcements, not by the GI Joe characters, which is a pity. But uh, does anyone have anything they need to talk about before they go? Before we head into first announcements, then oh, 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 Judges oh, Guild oh, goodness. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh. Yes, Horshack? Liz has one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Excellent ventriloquism <laughs> spell, Liz. <laughs> Mr. Carter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Um, actually, I do have an announcement to make. Um, many of you listening may be aware that Jeff D. and his partner, Jack Herman, um, they've been fighting a legal battle to be able to publish Villains and Vigilantes for quite some time. The game he wrote. Yes. Um, now, recently, they won the right in court to publish their own game. However, um, FGU um, is, or the guy that used to be in charge of FGU, is still being, well, I can't say what he's being because that's not nice. Yeah, he's being a boogerhead. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. He's being a boogerhead and basically saying that they can't use the name Villains and Vigilantes and they can't use their logo. So they're like he's suing them for when they sold it before they won their court case. Basically, he is saying that you they don't have the trademark. That ah, is what okay. he is saying. Okay. Publishing rights have been granted, but they're the former president of FGU is still claiming that they don't have the trademark to the game's name. So now they're having to fight that. And 
Well, they've been doing this for a long time. It's costing them a lot of money, and it's getting very hard for them to keep going. And so they have created a GoFundMe page. Um, if anyone can chip in a couple of bucks, that would be awesome. If you can't, you know, just spread the word about what's going on. Um, the address is GoFundMe.com slash monkeyhousegames. And, you know, just link will be in the show notes. Yeah. Spread the word. Help help them out. Jeff D's a good guy. We're, we're, we're not picking a side in the legal battle. But if you want to be a hero and support the creators, go right ahead. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, about the only thing I'd like to say is to throw out another thing for the Iron Realm podcast. I've gotten through five episodes now, all the ones I have out at this point. And it's it's interesting. Um, if I were not gaming with a group, it he provides some options on co- sort of playing the home game, as it were, with the actual play. Now, some of the fiction is interesting, and the sound effects can be kind of over the top. But on the whole, it really kind of grabs you, and you're you're thinking, you know, these people, these characters could very well die next game because he's playing at old school. Help, help set my uh, meter on over-the-top sound effects, better or worse than what I do for the podcast. Because <laughs> people have told me, yeah, it's a little, you know. <laughs> oh, well, the last one that I was listening to with Mike, um, rolls and, what was it? It was like Nat 20. And then yeah, there's we- this explosion. <gasps> thing. Like, that kind of sounds cool to me. I yeah, I thought that was awesome myself. Like, I had to pause time, it. But it's fun. <laughs> I paused it, and then I found Liz and said, Liz, you got to hear this. <laughs> Boom. Not to, he doesn't do it on the fumbles, though, which I think is kind of kind of a, a shame. He's I, coming I up with something he, for. No, I think he should do, you know, in the price is right whenever. <laughs> oh, yeah. The family feud sound. Yeah, you know, it's like, that's what they need. <laughs> or even just, you know, like a Pac-Man die sound. Do, 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 do. Wop, wop. <laughs> Our audience survey says fumble. <laughs> <laughs> so again, the podcast will be in the show notes. Go take a listen. And now, our public service announcements to serve the public. And back to Bob Budstaff. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Challenge your imagination to come alive battle with the creatures of Dungeons and Dragons. Grapple against the forces of evil as a Marvel Comics superhero. Hunt adventure and glory as Indiana Jones. The all-new role-playing games of TSR and Dungeons and Dragons. Unleash the power of your imagination. Zach Glazer, head of Lesser Known Games here. In November... We will be running a charity game using our newest box set, Death and Taxes, to support the Extra Life Foundation to benefit Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. <coughs> um, you can support this effort by going to extralife.org 
and making a pledge in the name of Robert Glazer or going to lessernome.com slash children. Robert Glazer? No wonders you go by Zach. Listen, let me show you how to do this. I cast charitable contributions. You will now go to extralife.org or lessernome.com and make a generous donation to Help Children's Hospital. You can even write it off both your death and taxes. See what I but, did there? But Don't interrupt me! And my Sabered Eye Podcast Minions will have a nice pledge link right on the webpage of this very episode to make that easy. Ah, that's great. Dopus, thanks. Don't mention it, Robert. What are you doing? It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson, is on. And we're back with part two of the interview with Bob Bledsaw Jr., owner and operator of Judges Guild. It's like we we just left each other. It's amazing how <laughs> time travel yeah. can do that. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, for part two, uh, Bob, I thought it would be great if we focused on the new Judges Guild. Um, your father passed in 2008, and a short time later, uh, you ended up with the company. Um, and and have been doing new projects with it ever since. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that happened and what what it was sure. like? Uh, sure. Um, getting over my father's death was one thing, and I gave the guild a month of uh, just no activity. And then um, in June, beginning in June of 2008, um, the first thing I had to do was uh, find out what we owned and what we didn't own. And so I tracked down as many of the products as I could. Um, I was really kind of shocked and surprised at how few of our catalog was actually up online and available for people. And it wasn't that I, I needed the money or anything. It's, it was the fact that it was, to me, kind of a heritage. All of those products, over 200 products we had produced, all but maybe 28 of them at the time, I think, only 28 was available online for people to get access to. I mean, there was new licensed things, which had come out with the help of White Wolf and Necromancer and Estros Games and other partners who worked um, with my father. But my goal was to really find out what we owned, what we didn't own, what could be released under license agreement, what authors I could contact as far as royalty agreements in order to get these products back out there. Because uh, for me, um, the history of the Guild relied on people having access to the material because it came from so many diverse uh, authors and contributors. And so it was important to me to, to, to kind of lock that down. And so... God bless you for over being... The course, I was say God bless you for being that thoughtful and ethical about it because I know from being friends with Tim Cast, people are constantly asking him why don't you just release PDFs of your old adventure gaming magazine and Tim does not do that because he signed first use contracts with all the creators, the authors and writers, so he does no longer has the rights to that material. And not right. many companies and a lot of did it, that. 
Yes, and a lot of a lot of those rights, after five years of non-publication, reverts back to the original author. And so, um, in the course of the next maybe, oh, maybe you could you could look it up. It was maybe 16 months. The next year and a half, I managed to get up uh, about 85 other products and make them available in PDF, at least so that people could have access to them and see them and and not necessarily have to bootleg copies off of some, you know, torrent site or something. Or pay an obscene and, amount on eBay. Right, exactly. Well, that's the thing. A lot of our, our products, um, uh, well, not a lot. A few of them are real collector's items, and if you don't shell out 50 bucks, you're not going to have one in your hands. At least. And, right. And so I, I saw a version of uh, Invincible Overlord go for over 700 and it's like... Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that I would like to have that in our in-house archive, as a matter of fact. But it just, um, I did what I could, and I contacted a lot of our old authors, like um, Rudy Craft, Janelle Jackways, and I made, I created royalty agreements whereby I could pay them a royalty, and we could get that back out there. So that's what I was able to do, and. Uh, so it's it's grown a bit as far as exposure, but uh, then there was that last product uh, called Lost Man's Trail, which really itself was not a product. It was originally I asked Dad, "What is this for?" Because when he when he moved to my house, when he could no longer care for himself, his cancer had gone to the point where he was having trouble getting around. Um, I moved him into my home. And I set him up in our living room so that he could have visitors in the front of the house. And and um, at the in the meantime, I had to go through and try to figure out what's he got going, what's going on, what needs to be done, and where are the uh, business ties at. And so uh, he luckily was uh, aware enough uh, that he could give me information. Now, one of the products he had complete in a folder. He had the manuscript complete. He did not have maps complete, and he did not have artwork complete, but he had artwork in the folder, was this Lost Man's Trail. And so I took it to Dad. It came right off of his desk at home, and I said, what is this? And he said, well, my original intention was for it to be a city-state installment for a new Pegasus, but I do not have the wherewithal to produce a new Pegasus. I just can't pull it out of the hat now. And so it's just kind of a standalone. And I said, do you think it would work as a product by itself? And he says, well, it might have to. And he just left it at that. And so after he passed away, that went into the folder. I've got a large file cabinet here in my home of a lot of the folders of past unused products, a lot of his notes and written partial ideas. And for a while, in the last five years, he was working on – he, he had planned at one time to write – he was kind of naive about certain things that he had never tried. He wanted to write uh, – his goal was to write three uh, uh, fantasy novels per year, which is pretty epic. If yeah. Someone who's <laughs> never actually done it. But that, that was his dreamer side. He was kind of a dreamer, and he always believed in big dreams. And so um, – but I have a lot of those uh, uh, partial manuscripts and, and an awful lot to draw from. And so um, 
although it will probably never be used. I was looking through some uh, files the other day when I was looking up First Fantasy Campaign. I've got a fellow that's um, wanting to film me next week on Dave Arneson about the First Fantasy Campaign, and he's flying from um, out west to do that. But So I was digging out material for him, and I run across uh, Dad's original... Uh, because his first campaign for his gaming group was based on Middle Earth, Tolkien's Middle Earth. Oh, so you and found his original campaign notes? I found well, I found the the dungeon levels for his Airbore, his Lonely Mountain, and he had uh, four levels up and twenty levels down. <laughs> of yeah, and That's if awesome. you check out my Facebook page, the Judges Guild Game Company Facebook page, you will see some of those. I've I posted up some of them for you to see. He's got little rooms like Sauron and Company in this room, and little little things like that. But the maps are cool to see. Well, um, we'll make sure and put a link to that pa- <laughs> that Facebook page in the show notes. You open the door. I don't, I don't mean Sauron. Pl- ah, <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to plug my Facebook, but yeah, um, the stuff is there, including um, the uh, old uh, yearbook cover with the Teddy Roosevelt, so people can compare and contrast the logo <laughs> and the Teddy Roosevelt, so they can see it. But yeah, that's where that's where that stuff comes from, and I love sharing this stuff so that people can know what the guild was and and what actually made it happen the way it happened. Well, tell us about some of the new projects that you've got going on. Um, there are several. There are several. I'm sorry. I just there, said he said realizing that I I know some of the projects, but listeners will be interested. Yeah. Um, one of the projects, unfortunately, things never work out the way you think they will, and so on the back of the uh, Lost Man's Trail, which was Dad's last work. Um, I produced it the following year, I think in 2009, and um, on the back of it, we advertised two products. One was called Noltec, which was based on a town near Teagle, which um, Dad and Mark Summerlot had played through. It was actually an adventure written by Mark Summerlot's son, Eric, and uh, we've, we have plans to release it. We've done some work on it, and it's... It's close, but so is Teagle Manor 2. When we decided to pull the fourth edition Teagle Manor um, project, um, we basically couldn't use anything from the Necromancer version. And uh, Gaber Lux was uh, great at what he'd come up with, but we actually couldn't use that material. So... um, we we actually have two manuscripts in the folders from the Sunnyside site. One is a submitted um, uh, romp through uh, Teagle Manor, which we never used and couldn't use because it involves too much adult humor and, and just it was very, very tongue-in-cheek to the point where it just really isn't usable. But the main <laughs> one that was actually play-tested in 1982 as Teagle Manor 2 we have it in its entirety except for maps. And it involves oh. um, us having to map the rooftop, which involves some material that was submitted by um, Luzaki, who had worked on the game science version. And it corrected some of the errors that were actually in the game science version, but it had a completely different storyline. 
And so I've talked with uh, Lou a little bit about that, and I've got his permission to run with that stuff. And it really makes for a good product, but it needs to be pulled together and it needs to be tightened. That's um, really cool because I'm about to start a new uh, D&D campaign here for the group here in Texas, and we're, I'm going to start them out in Teagle Manor. <laughs> that, that's going to be cool. So a second one, a, a Teagle Two. It's Teagle, right? That's well, a, it's it, the working title on the folder was always Night of the Living Rumps because <laughs> it actually takes you. It actually it actually takes you back in time to an earlier age when uh, the Rump family are not ghosts and ghouls, but actually quite alive and very active. Mm. But. I don't know how much I should give away from it, but the fact is that there's a vehicle involved in which um, you're teleported back in time, and you have to find a way back to your present time. Does this vehicle in, may be. does this vehicle in any way resemble a British police call box? <laughs> no, at all. No, it doesn't. No. Okay, all right. Oh, all right. <laughs> Uh, but it does open the doorway for, and the adventure itself does have some modern weapons. So there's going to be, oh, see, gun, there's going to be some gunplay in the hallways. I'm in no happier spot than when I have a magic user <laughs> with a firearm. <laughs> That's kind of scary. But there are other projects going on. For example, um, I just recently approved the manuscript for the new. Um, City State of Invincible Overlord, which will be released for it'll be released both in Pathfinder and Universal, which is our just throwaway uh, system. Um, I hate to say that because Dad worked really hard on that. Um, That's the Tristat. Yeah, the three number. Yeah, okay. That's so, a good system. Um, I know that system. Well, That's a perfectly good system. I've, I've heard. I've heard both from people. I hear people that say they prefer it, and then I have a lot of a lot more people tend to say no, they they prefer uh, second edition or third edition, especially. So okay, I'm going to go on a mini, miniature rant. It's been a long day. Okay. People are babies. Game, <laughs> gamers are the worst babies. Not all gamers, but just the ones that you know they want everything wrapped up in a silver bow and handed to them on a plate when. I mean, it's so easily convertible. Any competent DM could take any version of anything and run it on the fly as long as you know the rule system you're running. Yes. A good judge can run with anything. But it's the meat edition. of any product is the material involved. The, the, That's right. What have they got to go on? What's the gravy? Right. Yeah. Okay, rant's over. Sorry. <laughs> well, I totally speaking agree. Of, <laughs> speaking of different systems... Um, you guys, Judges Guild, um, you began licensing your material um, for adaptation to the D20 system with several companies, um, yeah. including Goodman Games in 2006. Um, how did that yeah. come about? It came about because, well, Dad recognized the popularity of the D20 system. And he wanted to get his products out there into the hands of the younger crowd and he knew that a lot of the uh, college students was grabbing up the D20. And so um, his real goal was to get the bulk of our old catalog into the hands of the college kids. But he just didn't have the capital. The people that did have the capital, bless their heart, came forward and said, well, we can do this for you or we can do that and volunteered their ideas to to produce very good things. And And the things that came out of the early 2000s, 
was great stuff. Necromancer made beautiful books of our material, and and so did Goodman Games. I mean, they they really produced top-notch stuff for us, and we were very proud of those, and I'm still proud of them. But after I took over, I felt more and more as if Judges Guild needs some legs to stand on its own. It's It's going to have to start finding a way to... It may produce slowly, but it has to produce on its own more and more. Mm-hmm. Now, the exception now is uh, Joseph Goodman. He's a man that, um, he's one of the few men that I would actually trust the entire guild to, if, if it come to that. Um, he, um, it's quite a compliment. Yes, well, it should be, because it, it's, it's my dad's work. It's, his, my, it's my dad's legacy. He he's a straight shooter. He he does a professional job. He says he does what he says. He's surrounded by very creative, great workers like Jim and Michael Curtis. Um, I think the best story I heard. These guys have really. The best story I heard is the one that Michael Curtis tells about when uh, they recently did a facsimile reprint of uh, Citadel of Fire. I want to make sure I get the right title, for which yes. uh, Michael Curtis was assigned to write uh, a new expansion to be included with the reprint. Okay, I don't think I've even told you this story, Mike and Liz. And um, no. Michael uh, wrote his manuscript meticulously to be in the old Judges Guild style so that it would stylistically mesh perfectly, and it went to Taco John for editing, and John got in there and fixed it all. Fixed oh, it. No. Quotation marks. Oh, no. And Michael saw the, the the edited copy and went, no, no, no. <laughs> that was on right. purpose. And, but but yeah. the, in, in Taco's defense, uh, John Hershberger uh, also went on a, uh Easter egg hunt to try and find a facsimile font that also matched the typesetting from back in the 70s. Yes, the old IBM Selectrix. So that that's 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 the level of devotion Goodman Games is is bringing to the table with these reprints. And and that's why I really do I trust these guys. They're great. And and they're giving us the ability to put this old material including our old our old newspaper rag Judges Guild journals into the hands of a completely new generation. And there's no way I could pass that up. In in a format considerably more archival than newsprint. Of course. It's this is like <laughs> I mean archival the epitome of it. I mean this is like Smithsonian Institution type archiving. Very meticulous. Cool. Yeah, I've got a copy of the D20 uh, Wilderlands box set. And Wilderland. Oh, Wilderland, sorry. <laughs> See, Wilderland. it really is. I, I knew he'd do it. That's okay. No problem. Um, you probably I'm don't listen a- to this podcast often, Bob, but we're infamous for our mispronunciations. <laughs> I, I listen to several of them, believe it or not. I like them. Cool. Oh, well, thank you. But anyway, yeah, I'm not a big fan of D20, but the the box set, the way it's done, the maps, everything compiled was just, I couldn't pass up. You know, it's like, I've got everything right here. Yeah. Whereas the older Wilderlands stuff was cool, but it was kind of spread out over so many products, you know, you had to kind of right, pile right. it all together. To, yes, and it was very hard. And that's mm. one of the things that will be great about what Goodman is doing. He's pulling this stuff together. So if you have the bucks, it's going to be in one place. I look forward to that. 
Now, whether my bank account looks forward to it, we'll <laughs> right? But out. this stuff is very rare. There's no way you're going to put this together on eBay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I will let you in on a secret. One of the reasons I was anxious to write for Goodman Games is contributor comp oh, yeah. cop contributor comp copies. Ah. <laughs> Ka-ching. Just just will email. Will you interview Bob for this reprint book? Hell yeah, I will. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I get free copies. Okay. Well, anything else? Any other questions? Bob, well, you were telling us a great... Um, go ahead, Liz. Oh, I was going to just um, ask Vile's question. Um, Vile Traveler, one of the people who um, listen to our show and will email us in. Um, nice guy, has, despite the name. Yes. <laughs> he is not Vile, even though that's his screen name. Um, <laughs> um, he had a question that he wanted us to, to ask you, Bob. Yeah. Um, and um, anyway, his question was... Is there any chance of the more popular and or iconic books from the back catalog being made available in print on demand one day? And we have covered this to an extent already in the interview. Um, He he goes on to say, I ask because there have been murmurings of Chaosium doing so with their old stuff. And it would be nice to have some Judges Guild adventures like the legendary Duck Tower to go along with that. And all the D&D and Traveler stuff, <laughs> of course. Speak, speaking of Janelle? <laughs> yep. Yeah, now, the Duck products, that was Janelle. I mm-hmm. mean, um, and uh, she was working for us at the time, and so those products are actually a part of our catalog and RIP. I don't see, I don't see why not. In fact, it's just a matter of me getting a, if you want a PDF, it's just a matter of me getting a decent scan that looks good and putting it up or typesetting it into a PDF for it to be up. Um, I really hadn't got a request for duck, duck tower. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my goal would be to eventually. Yeah, I'd I'd buy it in a heartbeat. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's well, three I'm sales right there. <laughs> three a, confirmed sales. That's a firm foundation for a trip to Starbucks. <laughs> All those Howard the Duck fans out there. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> well, after the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I mean, his cameo at the end. Yeah, the Guardian of the Galaxy movie, as a matter of fact, it, it kind of rung a bell because I saw that movie this year. And at the same time, I'm going through the new manuscript for the city-state of the Invincible Overlord, which will be coming out very soon. And it involves a um, a race uh, called Wash Bears, which are actually large raccoons, which are semi-intelligent. They um, they don't actually call each other by names, but they prefer shiny stuff. And uh, they perform menial tasks about the city-state, and they work in several of the shops. But uh, when I saw that movie, I thought, well, there's one of those. I, I, wonder, <laughs> yeah. how, I wonder how they heard about it. You, but, you, t- yeah. you, you take your cultural cachet where you can find it. I mean, sen- <laughs> sentient plants have been in Gamma World almost from the beginning. But at my table, my players are all like, I am Groot. <laughs> yeah. Very lovable characters. Well, when I think Judges Guild, I'll always think of the god Balder running a bar. <laughs> <laughs> that was the iconic ba- tavern I always used for whenever my players were like, well, we'll just go in and get a beer and not pay for it. What are they going to do? They're just zero levels. 
Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> yeah, you do that. <laughs> you know, if you're a listener to the show and you and you missed the Judges Guild stuff back in the day, please take our word for it because what what did Angry Monk run us through when we were playing that online D and D game? Dwarf uh, Glory Hole. Yeah, Dwarf Glory Hole. And you know, I I remember the Judges Guild stuff and I remember loving it, but you know, over time your memory gets fuzzy and you don't remember why you love it. And then Angry Monk ran us through uh the Dwarven Glory Hole and it just, you know, every time you turn a corner, there's that Gonzo. That old school <laughs> funk, you know? Yeah. Well, my very first uh D&D experience with a group of quote-unquote adult gamers at the local war game club. The first time I actually played D&D with them, which was probably only like the fourth or fifth time I'd ever played. And they did a campaign going over a couple of months that was nothing but raiding those uh, frontier forts of Kelnor map layouts from that product. It's like every, every Saturday we'd come over and, okay, well, here's another fort, but this one's owned by a bunch of orcs, and you're going to need to charge it and do all this other stuff. It's like one product kept us going for two to three months. Well, you know how when we review the Gazetteers, and none of us are big campaign-setting people, but we always say, this, as we go through one of those Gazetteers, this would be great, you could steal that, this would be great, you could steal that. The Judges Guild products are all like that, except it's times ten because of how packed they are. Yeah, so even and even if they are set in the Wilderlands, um, they're not like – they're easily droppable into anywhere. I mean it's not so connected that it's – well, unless you run it there, you can't use this. No, none of that. Yes, very open-ended. Mm-hmm. We, we like to make things as useful as possible so that people could drop them into their campaigns regardless of the situation. We knew that they were also playing TSR modules. We knew that they were playing ours as well. So, I got hear a, that, modern game companies? <laughs> <laughs> I got a question for you, Bob. Uh, at, yep. In 2015, are you still breaking out the pins and doing any of the maps, even if just a little bit for old time's sake? Or, um, or are you are you just like, no, I'm hiring guys to do that now? Well, I've I've thought about um, actually doing a, a new map for the Teagle Manor Two, which would involve uh, the terrain and the, um, the, it would involve two maps, one for the rooftop and one for the terrain around it. Um, sweet. That is, uh, it's actually in my workshop right now and it's being worked on. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I that, still doodle. Did, when you I've met... always done artwork on the side. And so I do oil paintings and I do portraits for people, uh, uh-huh. private locals on the side. And that's basically my bread and butter. Um, so whenever I inherited the company, um, it's like I do both now. Well, I, I, I don't want to incite an email forum thing, but those of us who have been through the whole process where we started out cutting ruby lith color separations with exacto blades have all the way yes. up to modern desktop publishing appreciate the pros and cons of both systems. And yes. I love the hand-drawn aspects of hand-drawn maps. Me too. For some reason, it just seems to have a feel that you can't get from the new modern digital stuff. I mean, the new modern digital looks lovely. It's beautiful for covers. But and, it, and it's not either or. You can hand draw the map and still bring it into Photoshop to do labels or something if you want. Yeah, I would still love to have a Rosetta cover any day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And as far as you guys were speaking a while ago about your first experiences with Judges Guild products, I don't know if you guys know this, but 
Stephen Colbert, who used to do the Colbert Report on TV, he, the comedian, mm-hmm. uh, he mentioned his first romp in D&D was in our Fortress Batabascor. Yeah, I remember seeing while, that episode. <laughs> for a while, that clip was on YouTube. If you searched Batabascor and Stephen Colbert or I think maybe Judges Guild and Stephen Colbert, it would come up. I promise it you. Actually if it actually had a little animated series of, of his adventure playing this character within Batabascor. It was cool. <laughs> I promise you if that clip is on YouTube, I will drop it in the webpage for this episode. Wonderful. I didn't yeah, know if you'd bother using that story, but yeah. <laughs> I was very proud of that. I always thought, man, I should do a cover. Redo the cover of Batabascor and just present it to Steven. So, I like that. <laughs> Have his character on there. Ha-ha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing well, a he rumor. Well, he was actually playing a female character, I believe. <laughs> he, he said he was playing a, like a female elf or something. Oh, okay. sounds like a perfect art job for Janelle. You could you could totally have her put Steven's face on that character for the cover. <laughs> mm. yeah. And th- and that's another thing. I recently gave the rights to the old Dungeoneer material back to uh, Janelle so that she could use it. Because she, she came to me um, about a year and a half ago and said, uh, what's up with that material? What are you doing with it? And I said, I'm really not doing anything with it yet. And she was referring to the... Um, IP that we bought from Chuck in 1978 of the early, early Dungeoneers that that first seven issues she was doing. So. I guess yeah, when she was like in high school, mm-hmm. and um, uh, she wanted use of them, and I said, oh, of course I can, I can, I'll grant you use for them. I mean, you were the author, you you did this stuff. You it deserves to be in your hands, and so uh, I managed to meet her at North Texas Con this year, and. Uh, it was it was really it was nice seeing her, and uh, she seemed to be very happy. And of course, she was happy to see that um, um, I was willing to work with her on it. I mean, but yeah, that's yeah, pretty was, cool. Not a lot of not a lot of IP owners do that. What's one that? of the things that was funny that struck me as funny that for some reason I connected when I was at um, Gen Con um, last time. Someone had given me a shirt that on the back of it said, "Yes, I am the." Uh, invincible overlord of the wilderlands and so I wore it because I was given this shirt uh-huh. and so I'm walking around with this shirt and on the back of it it says that and some guy stops me while I'm in the men's room at a urinal and asks for an autograph I couldn't believe that I must have shook 600 hands but to be stopped at a urinal for your autograph I mean that has to be fame <laughs> I've reached the pinnacle. I can't get any higher than this. One minute here. <laughs> yeah, I said, oh, you meet me down at the sink. I'll wash my hands first. <laughs> See, I was just getting ready to do a pseudo commercial for North Texas Con and say, if if you want to be, you know, just walk through the convention and hear great conversations like the one you shared with Janelle, this is the place to go. But also watch it's out a for the great place. Get, you know, get in and out of the restroom quickly, though, because <laughs> you know, gamers. Uh. <laughs> well, well, that actually happened at Gen Con. That wasn't at North Texas. Oh, yeah. well, see, you saved me. <laughs> it was a much bigger crowd at Gen Con, yes. You just saved oh, us an email from Bad Mike. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes, let's not give Bad Mike any reasons to email us. He has more than enough already. All right. Well, any last comments? Any, any more questions? I could give you a little bit of a... I don't know if you'll use it or not. I could give you a little bit of a tidbit regarding the uh, the Teagle Manor 2 vid- uh, vehicle that takes you back in time. What happens is, for whatever reason, 
in your campaign, you approach Teagle Manor, and it's completely sealed. It's a glow in a green light, but it's completely sealed. But eventually you find a rope ladder leading to the rooftop, and you begin to explore the rooftop, on which are four imps, um, which were, uh, these come from Luzaki. Uh, <laughs> him and my dad had come up with these four imps named Gingus, Vitus, Aquas, and Fortis. <laughs> they give you a really hard time. There, let me ring the Gonzo and, bell. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> well, it has to be Gonzo because it's Teagle. But then um, you get sucked down this um, chimney, which leads you into the um, guest room of Teagle. And the chimney is actually a time portal, and it pulls you back in time to the to the time when the rumps are in their heyday and very much alive. So and, do, you, do um, you not realize it until you're down in the room and then encounter well, stuff? Or? It, it takes you a while to realize that uh, the maybe if you'd been in Teagle before, you know that the portraits have changed and the people are living entities. And maybe you could... It really depends upon the judge how how he lets you know that you're actually back in time. <laughs> Didn't but. I kill you once when you had fangs before? <laughs> <laughs> back when you were a, a lich. But, um, you look just like this vampire I whacked. Oh, <laughs> sorry. But one of the sidelines um, is the fact that you're you're basically um, interred in a uh, holding cell. And you have to find your way both out of that, and explore what you can of the manor, and find your way back out through time into uh, your your own realm. But um, when the the original manuscript had that um, one of the one of the people that you're uh, one of the other prisoners in there at the time. Is an elf named Kringle, and it's actually Santa Claus. He's <laughs> the elf that you have to free and take with you in order to save Christmas. But that I don't think that was worth keeping in. It's like <laughs> that was what was in there. That was what was in in 1981. But oh, it would be worth having that in there just to watch the player characters murder Santa Claus and steal his stuff. <laughs> they could. They could very well do that. Yeah, probably will. <laughs> You are so going on the naughty list. <laughs> it was not quite the jolly old elf. The Savored Eye podcast is in no way a part of the War on Christmas. Just want to say that out loud. <laughs> not at all. Besides, remember the end of Big Bang Theory when Sheldon tried that in his dream later, uh, Santa showed up with that cannon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 you big dark. <laughs> Don't. But it does contain that. great things from Lou and my dad both, so... Hopefully, yeah, we, it will see the light of day soon. Yeah, when I Liz and so I too. were at uh, CoastCon, um, Lou did one of his uh, puppet shows. So we got an experience of his sense of humor. Oh, God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> He's good at harmonica, too. He can do ventriloquism. He can do magic. He can do the harmonica. He can do a lot. Lou Zachi is like freaking Leonardo da Vinci. The longer I find <laughs> – the more stuff I find out about him. Yeah, stage magician, colonel. <laughs> He's a real-life bard. He really is. He really is. Oh, well, there you go. Bards, does everything. Not the new we, weenie bards. Yeah. Exactly. Old first edition AD and D bards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, there's not that many of the older guys around anymore, and I really kind of feel bad, especially after losing um, Dave Arneson so quickly. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's kind of unexpected. And so was Gary, as a matter of fact. My dad was on his deathbed, and this is a short story you may want to cut out. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was on his deathbed, and everyone it had been announced to everyone that he had cancer and that he and the bulletin boards were ablaze with sympathy. And he was very touched by that, and a lot of times he would go through the bulletin boards and read the emails, and and I would read the mail to him. But then unexpectedly and out of the blue, Gary Gygax died. And uh, I informed Dad of it. And Dad at first thought I was joking. And and then he said, well, that's Gary upstaging me again. <laughs> and, but he meant no disrespect to Gary. In fact, no, he sent not. me out for a card. We ordered flowers. And he signed the card, but he had just been through chemotherapy. And his signature and his handwriting was so poor that it wasn't until just recently that my son delivered the letter to Ernie Gygax Jr. because of the card, because it was written so poorly. And um, it was actually the very last time my dad signed his name was for Gary Gygax's card. So their their names are tied together that way, too. That's an awesome story, sir. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. But they had a deep respect for each other. And like I said, when, once TSR let Gary Gygax go, he called my dad out of the blue. And I was there at my dad's house at the time when Gary called. And they talked for about 45 minutes. And during that time, uh, Gary oscillated between being sad and being really angry and hurt. Um, he felt shocked and surprised that the family and trusted friends would do this to him. And he really didn't think it would happen. And for some reason, he reached out to my dad. And my dad, of course, had his own share of internal betrayal within the guild. I mean, it was family members that did certain things to to uh, try to start off on their own. And mm-hmm. uh, so my um, dad sympathized with him. And when he got off the phone... Dad said, I really feel sorry for that man. He's really down. There was somebody in the TSR camp that I was talking to not too long ago, and I related that story to them. And it really surprised them that um, that Gary was so um, emotional about it. But he could be emotional with a guy that he assumed a companionship with, that he uh, understood. Yeah. yeah. And, and as uh, three old-school podcasters were obviously not on a peer level with you sir so we greatly appreciate you coming on the show like this <laughs> absolutely oh, don't do that i don't need aggrandizement <laughs> my head will swell it's not a good thing and after um, the show can i, I get an I autograph i do appreciate it i feel very <laughs> i'll send you an autograph i'll autograph anything <laughs> yeah. i'll meet um, you at north texas let's do it that way cool i'll see you there but <laughs> honestly um i feel looking back on my life and my time with the guild um being able to pick up the phone and dial Frazetta's home phone number and things like that would have never happened if it wasn't for the creativity of my dad and Bill Owen and these people that were family friends and that were a part of the guild. And so I was very, very lucky. And I didn't realize how lucky I was at the time. We're just kids and we're, we're surrounded by things and we're paid three thirty-five an hour to do an inked line drawing and I feel very lucky. I feel lucky. And so I want to do what I can to kind of keep the name out there and the products out there and 
and keep them moving. Well, as a historian, I can tell you a lot of the, you know, uh, materials and, and archives that I've read, frequently people in the middle of historical events almost never realize they are until it's over. Well, that's and, what's... Imp- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, that's what's both great and important about the uh, reprint situation that's going on here with the Judges Guild products, because, the you know, newsprint doesn't last forever. I don't have any of my old Judges Guild stuff. It's all gone away by now. So the yes, reprints... and when this project... When this project first started with uh, Joseph Goodman, um, I sent him some of our rarest archives, uh, uh, some of the stuff that was really hard for us to keep hold of, that we only had one bare copy of. And um, our own archives here at the Guild, we we do not have every print edition of each module that we produced. We might have two or three copies that are pristine, but they're not of each edition each printing and joseph and his team is covering all of that and he's compiling from other collectors what we can't provide in-house from our own archives and that is really great i mean which from a historical... i can't imagine any other way of historically documenting it so. it's, it's really a service to the hobby what you and joe are doing well what joe is doing I, I'm just giving him permission to do it, but I was, I was about to say he couldn't happy. do it without like you. He's, a dream, he's an angel that came down and gave us the opportunity to put this stuff in people's hands. So yeah, I have a lot of respect for Joseph. Me too, but I get paid to say that. And his team, <laughs> and and you, Jim. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. That's I, that's high praise. And we appreciate you taking out taking time out of your Sunday evening to come over and chat with us a bit there, there's no better use of it trust me i'm more than happy to be here by being on two Anytime. episodes we we will actually be able to pay you two guest fees double the <laughs> guest, guest fee guest fees. Yeah. guest fees give me a break i would not take pay for this honestly <laughs> no the joke is two times zero is still zero never mind that's cool i'm terrible Maybe we get liz to bring you some cookies at the next north texas or something <laughs> i i will do that well, whatever it depends on how good that Whatever that is in the crock pot. (laughs) (laughs) It's not cookies. (laughs) We've got rosemary garlic chicken in the crock pot. Ah, I can (laughs) almost smell it from here. Mm. I can definitely smell it from here. There was a lot of garlic that went into that. (laughs) My door closed because otherwise my stomach growling would be on on the record here. You're not allowed to complain because you're the luckiest gamer on earth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we hopefully we can have you back on the show sometime. I would be more than happy anytime. I'm glad. And thank you for having me. Thanks. It's our pleasure. All right. Well, then once again, here we are headed down the dusty road, thumb and rides. And how are we headed down the road, Jim? Dude, I'm heading down the road looking for chimneys to drop through, hoping I uh, time shift and land in the 1970s so I can go back and get some of those Judges Guild products again. Especially the journals. And how are you heading down the road, Liz? Well, I was I was going to go down that chimney myself, <laughs> but... Um... <laughs> But I may have to just follow Jim and hope that he'll leave me a couple of of spare modules to, to have for myself. <laughs> that you Santa Claus. 
You, you could drop a stone down the chimney. What a good idea! <laughs> that was an awesome part of that episode. <laughs> well, apparently that uh, green radiation coming off Tejal Manor has done something weird to the plants I'm standing next to because I am Groot. <laughs> Wonderful. And how about you, Bob? Well, I'm, I've got my trusty steed here with wings, uh, my Pegasus, and I'm on my way to Batabascor. Great! <laughs> What's wrong with your hand? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's backwards. Thanks. Yeah! Thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you guys at 116. See ya! Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Briark! <laughs> and we're out! Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Sacred Eye theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.BandCamp.com. Bob Budsaw Jr. was a Mr. and Mrs. Bloodsaw production. Guests on tonight's show stayed at the Teagle Manor Bed and Breakfast. Be sure to try the rump roast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. <laughs>